of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. This week, uh, this edition, I have Sean Hackett from Hackett Financial in Boca Raton, Florida, here with me today to talk about what's going on in the markets. And there's not, there, you know, we've been fortunate the whole time we're doing this, Sean. There's always been plenty of stuff to talk about. And this week's weather has been a uh, high spot in the in the news. So, I guess as you take a look out, uh, what's going on around you, talk about how the weather's affecting the market. We've had a, had a pretty good run up here that, uh, at the end of Friday last week, kind of moving into the first part of the week. Saw a little uh, downward uh, spiral here early this week, but it's starting to kind of make its way back up. So I guess uh, when you see the weather forecast of 100 plus degrees and a lot of key growing areas coming into pollination, what's your thoughts on uh, the corn market right now? I mean, this is something we talked on your program a month ago. You know, we talked about July was going to be super hot, um, that, the, uh, that, that we were going to be looking at more of a hot, dry summer. Many, many months ago, we talked about how this was not going to be anything like the last two or three years that we've been having because it's a pre-La Nina year. So, um, and, and we warned about the hot, warm, humid nights, especially in the eastern Corn Belt, and we're having dew points in the upper 70s. Some places have higher dew points <laughs> than South Florida, if you can believe that. So, um so you have warm, hot nights, um, hot, dry days in the in the Western Corn Belt. You know, just is not going to allow pollination to uh, to, to go perfectly. And the market a few weeks back, as you know, was was trading everything was going to be perfect. And we said over and over again that they start every season the same way. It's all going to be perfect, and it almost never quite turns out that way. And so now we have a situation where the market realizes it's not going to be perfect, and now we're just trying to decide how uh, imperfect it's going to be. Um, you know, we've suggested that we are looking at something like three to five bushels to the acre below trend. Take in five million less planted acres, which we learned in, at the end of June. Um, and some better demand. And you get yourself very quickly back to a 1.8 billion bushel carry out from 3.3. And while that's not, you know, uh, $7 corn, uh, you know, it's certainly not low $3 corn, it's closer to $4 corn. I think that's where, I think that market in corn is now repricing to that reality. And, you know, whether it goes beyond the 380 or four, which has been that happy place that the corn markets like to have been at for a long time, you know, it just depends on our look at the weather suggests that it's going to be good enough to avoid, you know, the catastrophe, like we think it's going to happen in 21, 22, but bad enough that it's going to avoid the perfect scenario. And so it means better prices for farmers, not the best, but a whole lot better than sub $3 cash corn that we were staring at, staring at a few weeks back. So, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's no doubt about that. It's been a, uh, I was looking at some cash prices yesterday and, and they're, you know, 279, 280 and that's uh, nobody can make that work. So hopefully this, this will kind of turn the tide a little bit. So let's bounce over and talk about soybeans. So that last report, that came out uh, last week also showed that there's about 2 million less acres of soybeans got planted than predicted. 
and and uh, the kind of the same situation with the heat that we see here. This is not the best possible time for a bunch of heat to be dropping down on dry dry weather too, dropping down on the soybeans. So I guess as you look at the soybean market, what do you see happening there? Mark, we're really going to excited about soybeans if this weather were to continue in the first half of August. Uh, that's really the killer, the killer time for soybeans. I mean, that, it's not that high heat. It's great for July, but it, it, it could recover. It can't recover if it's like this in August. So, mm-hmm. so the, the forecast two weeks from now you know, will be very important because, because we didn't add those two extra million acres that everybody thought. You know, you throw a couple of bushels to the acre below trend, and our carryouts in soybeans, you know, could be, you know, sub 300 million bushels. And that is the lowest we've seen in 10 years. So, so soybean fundamentals, and then you look out ahead and you, and you look at how the hog herd in Asia is starting to really rebound and how much bean meal they're going to need to feed all those animals that they're going to be growing and, uh, you know, and, and developing here over the next couple of years. And so the soybean market can ill afford a hot, dry August. We're not sure we're going to get that, Casey. We think it's possible that we could get a, a little cooler weather in the first part of August. Um, but we think there'll be enough concern uh, and enough damage done that, that the Saudi market's going to stay well-supported. We actually think, I don't know if you've been following this, but we've been seeing some biblical floods in China here yeah. in the last few weeks. I mean, you know, just unbelievable we actually haven't seen rainfall this high since the 1930s just to give you an example uh and so if you look at where soybeans are grown half the soybeans you know usually good uh, rain is a good thing for soybeans this time of the year but not floods and so um it looks to us that half the crop is underwater it's going to stay underwater and that means that the soybean crop is going to be way way Below expectation there, and that means whatever they were going to buy from us as part of a phase one trade deal or whatever they they would normally, they're going to need a whole lot more. Um, and so I we think they're going to be huge. You know, they've been buying here the last couple of weeks out of nowhere, as you know, and we think there could be more to it than just satisfying the phase one trade deal. We think they actually are doing it because they need it. <laughs> right. Um, and so that's another thing that you know we also saw that the USDA. Is talking about how the fall armyworm is everywhere. Uh, they just came out with a report, uh, I think it was you know, a week and a half ago, that suggested that crop yields in corn just on the fall armyworm alone could be down 5%. Um, prices, corn prices in China have gone parabolic the last couple of weeks as they're running shortages. Um, it looks to me like they're in big trouble. And... Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and they don't really have anyone else that they can buy from. And so I'm pretty optimistic that they may be really, really big buyers here late, later this summer based upon that. And uh, throw in this weather, lower acres and all, we could get this, this, this market move that we have seen, you know, we have much longer legs than many believe. One thing I will say, you know, we follow smart money capital flows in grain markets very closely. The one thing that we look for on initial rallies, how f- much have the smart as a smart money been selling the initial rally they sold very very little corn on this initial rally very little we're still in a buy signal right even with after the rally we're still in a smart money buy signal that's very telling that they do not believe that the current move is a flash in the pan they, they did this last year too by the way in, in may they didn't sell that initial rally and, and it, it was suggesting a much more protracted uh rise in price 
Now, the prior few years, that first rally, they just hammered sales and, and, and said, sell while you still can. So I'm optimistic, Casey, that you know, this is the corn market. And of course, if corn goes up, soybeans go up. You know, of course, the wheat market had a big explosion in price yesterday. And, and, and we have very, very strong smart money buy signals in wheat. Wheat and corn like to go together. It says to me, we're in an up move that we've been talking about on your program for weeks and months that we're actually in a move. And now we just have to try to determine how far they'll take it and, um, and how long it will last. But we certainly don't think it's over yet. And we think, you know, as much as there's a temptation to want to sell, uh, and don't get me wrong, if you have to sell, if you've got bills to pay, you got to do what you have to do. But, you know, we'd be a little, uh, we try to, we'd be a little patient here. We'd let this market run. We, we think uh, we never should have fallen. Uh, the pandemic caused uh, prices to fall further than they ever should have fallen. And, and all we're doing now is getting back to normalcy. And we think being patient will pay off for producers right now. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the desert, lo desert locust situation <clears throat> over in you know, India and, and surrounding areas there. Uh, I've kind of sort of been following that a little bit, not too in depth, but what I have followed is that that, that situation is just getting worse by the day. And, Talk about key growing areas for sugarcane and some cotton, and they're getting devastated right now. So, talk about what you see happening in the sugarcane market based on what's happening in in southern Asia and in India. Well, we have, we have to understand there's 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 waves of reproduction in these uh, desert locusts. So they lay a bunch of eggs. So they so they had a spring egg laying fiasco that is leading to the current surge in India, okay? And it's in India now, it's there in provinces, we're seeing pictures, we're seeing videos, it's already there. I mean, it's not like we have to guess now, is it gonna be, it's there. Having said that, the much bigger surge is the summer egg laying that has taken place because during the summer, the monsoon season, bugs love rainfall and moisture and humidity. And so this is when they actually produce far, far more um, those eggs have been laid, the dye has been cast, and the summer surge, Casey, is going to occur as we move into the end of July and into the month of August. So what we're seeing now already from the spring surge is going to be at least an order of magnitude worse in August. And that does mean that the you know, cotton crops, the sugar crops, the rice crops are going to be in a heap of trouble to try to produce yields like everyone is anticipating. And so we think and continue to believe that this is going to be a large impact to the market uh, in August and beyond as the market has to dial down production in a key exporting country like India. Uh, so, so, so it, it's real and, and it's, it's a, it's a major event that's going to dovetail with what's going on with us weather right now. Okay. So let's bounce over and talk about wheat for a minute. Here we are in the, uh, Right in the middle of uh, wheat harvest, uh, it's basically half halfway through uh, the overall wheat harvest in in uh, the United States, and um, we are seeing a lot of moves in in wheat that you wouldn't typically see right now, based on uh, harvest pressure and those kind of things. So, talk about the wheat market you see happening now, and some of the positive things happening there. Well, with winter, with winter wheat, you know, CBOT wheat, KC wheat, we had harvest pressure. We get it every year. June mm -hmm. is a typical period where, you know, farmers sell off the combine. They got to sell. They got to pay bills. Uh, well, usually once you get about half harvested, there's a normal bounce to the market. Remember, 
uh, the pandemic, global pandemic has caused a surge for two must-have ag food items. That is rice and high-quality wheat for human consumption. And that hoarding uh, mentality or that demand globally, especially in Asia, for those two products is not gone away. It's a fact it's accelerating. We have plenty of what we call low-quality wheat in the world, but we have uh, a shortage of high-quality wheat in the world. And so now that this harvest pressure in the U.S. is over, and by the way, we're, what we're also starting to see is as that harvest is getting further north, a lot of the frost uh, that we got into those northern uh, winter wheat belts are showing much lower yields. A lot of the dryness that we saw in those northern regions are showing much lower yields. And so the yields are starting to come in far, far below what many anticipate in these areas. And so the USDA is too high in their winter wheat production. They're going to have to come down, not only in this report that's coming up tomorrow, but also in the future, in, in the next report. And I think the market yesterday finally figured out, A, there's a shortage of high quality wheat, and B, yes, those weather, that, that adverse weather had a much greater impact than we thought. And oh, that, oh, by the way, prices are too low. We need to start you know, getting our wheat, our wheat needs fed. And so that's, uh, and we had a really outstanding smart money buy signal in, in, uh, in KC winter wheat. So looks to me like the uh, harvest flows are in. And we should have, a, we think, quite a spirited post-harvest rally here that producers can, you know, look for to have a better price and to make some good sales once this gets further along. Once again, like corn, we think patience will be a virtue here for a little while. Yep. But they're still getting quite a, press, a lot of pressure on wheat, too, from Ukraine and Russia. It looks like they had their forecasts lowered over the uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, which, which sparked some, some trading as well. The Russian wheat crop uh, is not delivering again. Uh, re remember, it was just three years ago, four years ago, when they had more than tripled their wheat production. They were going to go on to 100, 120 million metric tons of production. Nothing can stop them. And then three years ago, they went from 88 million down to 70. Well, now the next year, we're going back. Well, here we go, 72. This year, we're going to come back. We're going to have this big crop. 75 and on its way to 72 it looks to me like we keep lowering the crop yields like you said the weather cha has changed and they're not able to, they're just not able to deliver on expectations for three years in a row and we haven't even gotten to the bad weather crop years yet 21 22 is going to be really really unfavorable for russia like it was in 2010 11 12 so so the the story here casey is that this grand solar cycle weather uh change in the weather patterns that we've been talking about that's just getting started is starting to have an impact on stunting global production in grains and according to our work as you know in court you know the, the la nina in 21 22 is really going to put that uh concept to the real test and um and so we we expect that this is going to be an ongoing thing and the market's going to have to start dialing in that Russia is not going to be increasing production. In fact, the, the production there is going to continue to fall. And that is a big, big change in a country that's become the largest exporter in the world. So, yeah. Okay. So the other thing too, based on the heat that we see happen right now, it is scorching hot in West Texas right now. You're talking like, I think the 10 day forecast I was looking at down the other day was, I think the coolest day was 102. So it, it's a, uh, 109, 107 degree heat. Um, 
couple that with the uh, last week's report on again we uh, cotton acres fell just like everybody else's acres did and looks like the uh traders are, are looking for ending stocks to fall about 1.1 million bells um from 8 million projected that they saw in june so when you look at what's going on in the cotton market it is devastatedly smashed in the face that thing got with the with the pandemic and the stuff we saw happening there um there looks like to be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel well, look, the, the market has rallied substantially off of the lows, uh, pandemic lows um, because demand's come back somewhat. And, of course, the weather. Remember, we lost 8%. The, the acreage was 8% below what was expected in yeah. the U.S. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big wild. miss. That's a big miss. Yeah. And then you look and you talked about West Texas, right? If you draw a line straight down the center of Texas, <laughs> eastern, eastern Cotton Belt have a lot of irrigation. They can get by to some extent. Uh, the western uh, Texas cotton belt is not irrigated. It's dry land. Either they get the rain or they don't get the rain. They don't get the rain. They have not been getting the rain. And you get 100-degree heat. It, I mean, they could actually have zero production on fields there. I mean, you could have a zero crop because there's simply no irrigation and, and there's no way to – so if you get the right conditions, it's not uncommon for dry land cotton out in west Texas in some areas to have zero. So – we're trying to find out how close to zero are we going to get. But it, to me, the way we're seeing things, you know, remember we haven't talked about an active hurricane season and what an active hurricane season could mean if you throw, you know, copious amounts of moisture on open bowls in the deep south into Texas. You know, that could be an additional thing we worry about later on in the season. So everything says to me we are going to have probably one of the smallest cotton crops we have seen in a very, very long time. You know, you might have to go back a decade to see the last time we had a crop this small. Um, so, you know, there you have it. You know, there you have it. And, and, and if we're talking about a, a desert locust problem in Gujarat in northwest India, who is one of the top growers and exporters in the world, also having trouble, you know, you just have yourself one heck of a supply side problem. And look, demand's not great, but it's better than it was. And it's certainly better than it could have been. And so you throw that in there and cotton looks like it's it, it will continue to work higher um, until they can put to rest what the hurricane season is going to look like. And so that market continues to have a, uh, a steady beat drum higher um, after those, you know, that, those lows that we saw under 50 cents were now in the mid 60s. It's a big move. Um, still not the very, very best prices, but they're starting to get to a place where a guy can pencil out paying his bills. So, yep. and that's the important part of that, that equation. Yes. Um, okay, jump over and look at this protein. So, we had hogs and cattle both finished down pretty good yesterday. Um, but they're still hovering around that, that mid 90s. There were some $100 um, bids in Iowa in the cattle market. So, I guess let's talk about the cattle market. What do you see happening there? I mean, it feels like we're back to pretty much normal on the solder side. Um, feels like demands there i guess where's the where's the hang up well i think we have to separate the beef price from the cattle <laughs> price we okay. know the beef price went to all-time record highs of all time never seen before in the history of our country for a while that right. did hurt domestic demand for beef and it did hurt exports for beef also due to the fact that we had uh packing plants for a while that were not being able to bring animals through what what, what does a cattle producer do he 
fattens them up some more and increases the weights. And so we're having weights probably, you know, 5% above year over year, which means every animal's got a little more meat uh, when you bring it through. And so there's some headwinds there. I mean, not, not bearish. It, it just slows the rally from what it could have been because we have, uh, so, so, so now the beef price has fallen back down. Okay. The beef price has come back down significantly and that's going to start the process of getting domestic demand and export demand going. Uh, but we still have to contend with those higher weights. So, so it's a, it's a market we think will work higher, but we don't think we, we have the explosive potential in our, at the moment. We think the explosive potential is the hog market right now, because in the hog market, you know, you don't, you don't put hogs on pasture and fatten them up. You euthanize them if you can't bring them to market. And uh, the price got crushed so bad, you know, into the 40s uh, that fowler wings, if you looked at the, pot, the hogs and pigs report from a couple of weeks back, fowler wings in the summer and the fall are going to drop the most in 20 years. So we're looking at a supply vacuum in the fall and into the first quarter of 2021 at a time where export demand from China is all-time record. And because beef prices got high, people switched over to pork and pork demand domestically is, is really, really strong. And the, and the packing plants are getting their act together and starting to move the pigs through. Weights are flat to down from a year ago. So we're not having this headwind of having higher weights per head. So everything says to us that once we get through a little more of this overhead, uh, oversupply in the near term, you know, hogs have, we think, an exciting uh, potential price rebound here in the fall and, in, and into the first quarter. And so we, we've gotten a very, very strong smart money buy signal, a big buy bar this past week. So everything looks really solid to us that if we're looking at livestock, you know, we already talked about, you know, a couple weeks back about the milk market had a, one of its biggest surges ever. You know, the cattle market had a pretty good surge, but the hog market has not had a surge yet. We think it's time for the hog market to play catch up to the rest of the livestock group. And so we would be focusing, you know, for cash buyers of, of hogs, you know, we would be certainly wanting to make sure we got some business done because we think these prices are not likely to last much longer for, for cash buyers. So. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions about what's going on or how you can help them market their, uh, their uh, products, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of information on there. See how we do things and to see if what we do might help them, uh, you, you know, with their, with their marketing and with their, and with their um, hedging needs. Right on. Well, I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Sean for being on this edition. Make sure you check out the Moving Iron LLC Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram page for all the latest uh, information about Moving Iron Podcast and also the podcasts that get uh, posted there. Also, check out movingironllc.com for the latest information on the Moving Iron Summit. That is September 1st through uh, 3rd in Nashville, Tennessee. <coughs> Sean will be a speaker there. Always great information as well. Also, check out the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters out there. And uh, with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. In the 21st century Hardworking people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find a scene